Dress, the history of fashion, is a production of iHeartRadio. With over 7 billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the history of fashion, a podcast that explores the who, what, when of why we wear. I am April Callahan, and my regular co-host, Cassidy Zachary, and I are fashion historians. If you are up to date on our most recent episodes, you already know that Cass is currently on maternity leave, but fear not, she will be back with us on the show later this summer. And in the meantime, you might hear a few re-airings of older episodes, which we have deemed dressed classics, as they are some of our favorites, as well as some of the newer things that I have been working on. And one of those things is today's episode. And this episode is actually now a few years in the making, believe it or not, because in 2020, dress listener and contemporary artist Nicole Cook reached out to us about an exceptionally unique project that she had been working on that involved musical compositions executed by way of a sewing machine. And it goes to say that I was most intrigued by this. And she went ahead and shared some of her work with us. And we corresponded back and forth for a bit about it. And the rest of that story is fashion history now, because today she joins us on the show to discuss her newest incarnations of her performance work with the sewing machine as a musical instrument, as well as her other work, which takes place under this umbrella of a project entitled Series Archive. Clothing, fashion, textiles, performance, gender, and quote-unquote women's work all lay at the core of each work within this series archive, and we can't wait to explore it all on Dressed. So let's do it. Nicole, welcome to Dressed, finally. And I say finally because you and I have been in conversation for some time about your work, and we are so pleased that we get to discuss it with you today. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, of course. So before we get to discussing your artwork, would you tell us a little bit about your background and also your path to becoming an artist? Yes. So I am born and raised in Los Angeles, born in Venice, Venetian born to borrow that. And I was born into a family. Both my parents are artists. My brother was an artist. So from a young age, basically everyone in my point of reference was an artist. So I learned from my mom, she's a painter, and then also taught fashion design and pattern making and draping specifically for close to 20 years. So from a young age, I learned clothing construction and sewing from her. And my dad is an actor and a pianist. So I kind of learned from him the more performative elements of my practice. So already... I was kind of like from birth, (laughs) I feel like in becoming an artist, but I began to sort of search for my own language for my work. And a lot of that was built during the time that I went to UCLA and I was in their design media arts undergrad program, which was primarily for me a tool of learning graphic design and bookmaking, which I've later applied to my art practice. But during that time, I've always kind of 
enjoyed having some friction. I'm a little rebellious in the sense that being in the program, I also wanted to be out of the program. <laughs> so I was taking the classes and I was, you know, uh, very dutifully doing my work. But during that time was when I started to create Series Archive. And so my priority in my heart of hearts was beginning to create a language for the kind of performances and clothing that I was making and performing outside of UCLA. You describe your project series archive as a, quote, performance art project developing over a lifetime, utilizing clothing design as its primary medium, end quote. And I think we will touch on each series of the work in this overarching archive, but I'm hoping that we can start with series three, which is entitled Orchestrations at Needlepoint. What was the concept for this series? So this series um, was born out of my creation of a sewing machine outfitted into musical instrument. And the way that it's outfitted is it's connected to different effects pedals through contact mics. And since this idea came into fruition, I've already made developments and hope to as I continue to work with the instrument, it's kind of become my primary focus for the time being. I'd like to get into the hardware of the sewing machine and like maybe work with an engineer or I don't know, something. Oh, that's super exciting. Yes. <laughs> so the first piece in the series is the first debut recital of the sewing machine as instrument. And throughout the series is me sort of in real time developing the machine in different ways. The sewing machine performances you do, Nicole, are so captivating. Can you describe the very first one, which is entitled Recital for our audience? And don't worry, dress listeners, we will put a link to this on YouTube so you can check it out for yourself. Yeah, so this was, as I said, the debut performance of the sewing machine as instrument. So I performed it in sort of this 18th century this masculine but feminine sort of with coattails, long satin coattails that were detachable, a Brooks Brothers shirt that I'd split in the back. So it was both pink and white. And I performed a pre-rehearsed composition via sewing a scarf that kind of looks like a receipt almost. And hand-painted was my cues for the sewing machine notation that I've developed for and continue to, to develop for the sewing machine as instrument, which is a notation that I call PGY for pink, green, yellow. Um, <laughs> and each color coincides with a specific petal that I use. So the scarf, for lack of better words, but really it kind of looked more like a receipt, silk satin receipt, but um, it has sort of hand-drawn in pink, green, and yellow paint, my notation and my cues for myself for performing this pre-rehearsed composition. And how would you describe the compositions and sounds that you make with the machine? On one hand, which I love, it is noisy, it is chaotic, it is industrial. <laughs> and I love that for, especially I'm working on a you know domestic singer sewing machine from the 50s. So I love the idea that something that, you know, was made for the home to be done kind of in private women's work, in big in quotes, 
you know, that's kind of done in private is suddenly put on stage and made loud. So that's part of the sort of sonics of it. But the sonics that I'm most inspired by are the more kind of spiritual sounding elements. When I pull the strings, which is my favorite part of that performance, there are kind of like these sounds that emerge that sound like uh, singing voices. And that's amplified by the pedal, of course. So those are the sounds that now, as I continue to work with the machine, I'm more interested in highlighting because I feel like that's maybe the less expected sonics that are happening. The compositions are really beautiful and they have almost this sort of techy, melodic mixture to them at certain points. But I also really like the little bits where things like changing the knob on the machine creates a click. They, they are very, very fun. And speaking of fun, just last week in LA, you added onto this series with a brand new piece. Can you tell us a little bit about your most recent performance? Because it was only just a few days ago. Yeah, it was great. It was at Murmur's Gallery um, in Los Angeles, and it was entitled Recital to My Brother. And so it's my second recital. And this piece is wildly personal because I lost my brother unexpectedly um, at the end of 2020. Uh, So this performance was actually a conversation between the machine that I primarily use, which was the first machine that I debuted it with. And then also the sort of brother, it's not a brother machine, it's also a singer, but it to me, when I bought it, it looked like sort of the more masculine version to my more feminine looking machine. And my brother up until his passing had been borrowing that machine and using it because he was a great artist in his own right. So he's really the last person to ever use the machine. So this performance was basically the spool of blue thread that I sewed a 24 foot long scarf with 24 feet for 24 years of his life was linked from across the stage into an empty spool on the top of my machine and then went through obviously threaded through my machine and so the soundscape that we were working with was sort of my more percussive kind of heartbeat of you know me sewing actively And then the sonics that were coming from my brother's machine or the machine that my brother was using was the sound of the spool being pulled. So his sounds, as exaggerated by the two pedals that we used with his, were, you know, very ethereal in sound. So it kind of created this really meditative, uh, it was described to me also as hypnotic soundscape. Yeah, I totally agree. Also quite hypnotic, but very different is another piece within this series called Chaotic Couture, Duchess of Satin. Will you tell us about that? Yes. So I spent some time in 2019 working at Atelier Caraco in Paris, um, and I apprenticed there for three months. So this piece is sort of born out of my findings there um, and kind of seeing like couture up close and interacting with the industry, the larger fashion industry at large. 
So this character that I created named Chaotic Couture is a seamstress by day, but an aspiring kind of pop star by night. And the song that she sings is a song that I wrote that's, you know, directed at the fashion industry and sort of in response to seeing and working under these incredible couturiers who do the laborious and beautiful, meticulous work on these pieces that go down the runway and, you know, are never highlighted, like personally for their efforts in putting pitchboard on one way. She sings over sewing machine samples from my sewing machine instrument. And there are two beats that we layered it with. I worked with a producer named Avery Tucker of Girlpool. And he added these two beats underneath to kind of like make it poppy. But yeah, she's like a little rebel pop girl, um, kind of pop punk. It, I mean, it's, it's almost like a, a music video. It's totally a music video. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a music video art performance, but yes, definitely a music video. I don't think that you have actually released that to the public yet, have you? I mean, maybe you will share it with us very soon. I have not released that yet, and I am looking to do that soon, so. Yes, please do. I mean, I've seen it, but I think everyone else needs to see it too. Okay, so we have covered series three of your work but I'm hoping we can also touch on some of your earlier series. In series two, you have another piece that is kind of related to series three. It's called Two Sonata Machine, So Not a Machine. I will be the maestro of my own fate. Can you tell us about this and also how it's related to the other works that we have just discussed? Yeah, that's interesting because I kind of came up with the idea for the sewing machine instrument at the end of series two. So And series two was very focused on, I'm genderqueer. It was very focused on sort of my relationship to my gender, the role clothing plays in gender performance. So at that time, that piece actually was supposed to be the debut performance of the sewing machine as instrument. And at that time, I had conceptualized performing it as this sort of classical, like pianist type and male. And then I actually got hit by a car and I was fine, but I, it was a very strange experience naming a work. I will be the maestro of my own fate, only to discover that at times you're not the maestro of your own fate. Fate had different plans for you that day. Fate did have other plans, yes. So it took me a while to recover from that. And during that time, I realized that to debut the performance you know, under this sort of like male figure was really wrong to me, considering the legacy of, you know, sewing being primarily women's work. Like it just felt like kind of an erasure to that. So by the time that I did finally debut the performance, that's why there is still this kind of like gender duality that I perform it with in the first recital. But it is, I feel like, much more appropriate to the legacy of of it being women's work, again, in big quotes. Dress listeners, we often refer to ourselves on the show as dress detectives. But what if we told you that you could travel back in time and solve your own fashionable mysteries? 
because you can by joining us in playing June's Journey. And April, I can't tell you how much fun I've had playing June's Journey. It's this <laughs> hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour and intrigue of the 1920s with this diverse cast of characters. And basically, each new scene takes you further into the story of a thrilling murder mystery that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. You will sleuth with June in the antique parlors of New York, the chic sidewalks of Paris, and you can even build your own luxury island estate where you get to decorate and plant decadent gardens. And there's also a chat and challenge feature where you can play alongside friends. So join us, dress listeners, in putting on your detective hats and escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Cass, as you know, we are going to be expanding our fashion history travel offerings this year. Mm -hmm. So you better bet that I'm going to be brushing up on my language skills with Rosetta Stone. With more than 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and so many more, that world out there is practically at the tip of your tongue. And that's right, dress listeners. For more than 30 years, Rosetta Stone has been the expert in language learning. There are no English translations, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which is incredible. You learn by immersion, and their programs are available to use on your desktop or as an app. And let's not forget that there is an amazing built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation, so you learn the proper accent from the very start. For a limited time, dress listeners, you can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off by visiting rosettastone.com forward slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com forward slash today. This discussion of gender is something that plays in with another piece in series two, which is called I'm off to work and I'm a very busy man. And this is sort of a more photographic exploration and it provides commentary on more than a few topics, not only gender. Would you tell us about that piece or the series of pieces? Yeah, Derek Keyes. This is another alter ego of mine. His name is Derek Keyes because the briefcase that he carries around, I found at at an estate sale and I misread a little envelope with the key to the briefcase. It said desk keys, but I read it as Derek keys. Um, So this sort of triggered this, like this character. And so he is the accountant for series archive, my performance art project. And that's funny to me because series archive has no money. Um, And it, there's this sort of like, he's searching for belonging and we photographed it. I call it sort of like a, it's like a rogue live performance or like live character study. No one obviously in the plaza knew what I was doing, but we went to a creative agency and during the, I like scouted to check when break times were and like lunch break and when people arrived to work. And so he was photographed at different times during those like windows when there was the most sort of influx of people going to work at the creative agency. So it's called suited up fitting in and the fitting is 
I mean both he's attempting to fit in as well as he's outfitted to try to fit in. But the uh, suit that he wears, again, I, I kind of have these slashed Brooks Brothers dress shirts that I upcycled from thrift stores around LA. And then his suit is made of both a fine, like very light, but very fine wool, a silk lining. And then the pants were made with dickies. And then pieces of the dickies were used in the construction of the suit jacket as well. So there's also in my work consistently this yeah, the friction between classes and um, growing up working class, but then also having this like very heightened awareness of like fine craftsmanship and like the art of life, which are the things we make and the things we adorn our bodies with. And I like the high and low in my work always because I do feel like I create myself to be in luxury pieces, but I was not born into it per se. Right. I mean, it's basically a character for you. Yeah. Which is something you first started approaching with your first series, which is actually called characterization. And this series provides the most diverse range of mediums in terms of the output that the artwork takes. So would you tell us a little bit more about series one? So series one is when I started series archive seven years ago. So characterization as the title of the first series really applies to me discovering who, like what the project was as a character. And at that time, I was beginning to make clothes. And the first piece that I ever did studies on how to be, the only concept for that piece was that I made these 12 dresses out of neoprene and I wanted them photographed with 12 girls sitting and just staring, sometimes blinking. And that was sort of the the piece. And questions arose afterwards, whether it was to become a brand or, you know, kind of what, what I was doing with it. And I was resolute that I didn't want this to be a brand. And I was still figuring out then what it was. So the next piece, an arrangement in stages, I feel like is when I began to get better grounding within myself of what I was doing. Um, and that piece is a fairy tale that I wrote about a hypochondriac widow. And she is in three stages of grief, which is really incredible to see because now having gone through and going through the grief that I now know, it's interesting to see how my perception of it has changed. And then in some ways has kind of stayed consistent. So there were three acts and they were performed by three dancers, uh, choreographed by Alexa Durans. And then there was a narrator who read the story and there was a songstress who sung like this beautiful ballad, Dominique Madelson. The performance was linked together by these three huge flower arrangements that I had um, done three weeks before the show, two weeks before the show, and then the day of the show. And it's the exact same floral arrangement in these huge like fishbowl containers. So it was quite heavy. And so time was kept by the sort of like laborious moving of these flower arrangements into different acts. So there's this relationship to grief that's nonlinear, that there are these different stages of decay, but they're appearing, you know, kind of out of order. And I feel like even then I knew... (laughs) 
that um, grief was nonlinear and to say stages is kind of wrong for people who know grief because it's, it's ever changing. Yeah. And I think you constructed the dancers ensembles for that piece as well, correct? Yeah. So to um, backtrack a little bit, that piece felt more formally like what the identity of series archive was, which was to create these performance works that incorporated the clothing objects, as I call them, that sort of acted as aids to the performance or honestly is even like characters in the performance. Well, Nicole, we cannot wait to see what you do next. And if people want to see images or even some video of your work, where can they find you? So series-archive.com. And I'm also on Instagram and I am seamstress with an ED. So I'm seamstress. <laughs> but seam <laughs> is in the <laughs> seam in your clothing with 11 underscores afterwards. It's a very new account. <laughs> yeah, I know, because apparently that's what it takes to get the Instagram handle that you want these days, right? <laughs> Nicole, this was lovely. We have been chatting back and forth for two years now about your work. So congratulations on your most recent piece, which debuted just a few days ago. And we can't wait to see what's up next. Thank you so much. And I wonder if I could read the poem that I wrote that coincided with my most recent performance recital to my brother. Of course, please. Okay, cool. Um, Here it goes. I've been getting good at putting other people's houses back together. You who used to live down the hall, we used to be together. Down a different hallway now, I'm trying to piece it all together. Hanging by a thread, Let me try to thread this back together. Let this blue thread be the letter. Aw, that was supremely special. Thank you so much. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you again, Nicole, for joining us. And please do let us know about any further work you do with other scientists or collaborators on further adaptations of the machines. I mean... I have this whole imaginary vision in my head right now of this entire sewing machine orchestra, which I think is amazingly charming. Maybe one day, perhaps. Dress listeners, we are guessing that many of you are also intrigued by Nicole's sonic adaptation of sewing machines and her performances of them. We have placed a YouTube link in the show notes for this episode so you can check out her very first performance recital. And of course, we will be posting images on our Instagram this week as well. That does it for us this week, Dress listeners. May you consider if sewing makes your heart sing next time you get dressed. Remember, we do love hearing from you. So if you'd like to write to us, you can do so at dress at iheartmedia.com. You can also DM us on Instagram at dress underscore podcast, where we post images to accompany each week's episodes. If you would like to take the time to rate and review us, on your podcast listening platform of choice. We always appreciate it. And always appreciated our producers, Casey Pegram, Holly Fry, and everyone else at iHeartRadio that makes the show possible each week. We will catch you soon. Dress, the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your favorite shows.